Section 24 of the Junior Classics, Volume 6, Old Fashioned Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Junior Classics, Volume 6, Old Fashioned Tales, The King of the Golden River, Part 2, by John Ruskin. The King of the Golden River had hardly made the extraordinary exit related in the last chapter before Hans and Schwartz came roaring into the house, very savagely drunk. The discovery of the total loss of their last piece of plate had the effect of sobering them just enough to enable them to stand over Gluck, beating him very steadily for a quarter of an hour, at the expiration of which period they dropped into a couple of chairs and requested to know what he had got to say for himself. Gluck told them his story, of which, of course, they did not believe a word. They beat him again, till their arms were tired, and staggered to bed. In the morning, however, the steadiness with which he adhered to his story obtained him some degree of credence, the immediate consequence of which was that the two brothers, after wrangling a long time on the naughty question, which of them should try his fortune first, drew their swords and began fighting. The noise of the fray alarmed the neighbors, who, finding they could not pacify the combatants, sent for the constable. Hans, on hearing this, contrived to escape and hid himself, but Schwartz was taken before the magistrate, fined for breaking the peace, and, having drunk out his last penny the evening before, was thrown into prison till he should pay. When Hans heard this, he was much delighted, and determined to set out immediately for the Golden River. How to get the holy water was the question. He went to the priest, but the priest could not give any holy water to so abandoned a character. So Hans went to Vespers in the evening for the first time in his life, and, under pretense of crossing himself, stole a cupful and returned home in triumph. Next morning he got up before the sun rose put the holy water into a strong flask and two bottles of wine and some meat in a basket, slung them over his back, took his alpine staff in his hand, and set off for the mountains. On his way out of the town he had to pass the prison, and as he looked in at the windows, whom should he see but Schwartz himself peeping out of the bars and looking very disconsolate? Good morning, brother, said Hans. Have you any message for the king of the Golden River? Schwartz gnashed his teeth with rage and shook the bars with all his strength. But Hans only laughed at him, and advising him to make himself comfortable till he came back again, shouldered his basket, shook the bottle of holy water in Schwartz's face till it frothed again, and marched off in the highest spirits in the world. It was, indeed, a morning that might have made anyone happy even with no golden river to seek for. Level lines of dewy mist lay stretched along the valley, out of which rose the massy mountains, their lower cliffs in pale gray shadow hardly distinguishable from the floating vapor, but gradually ascending till they caught the sunlight, which ran in sharp touches of ruddy color along the angular crags, and pierced in long level rays through their fringes of spear-like pine. Far above shot up red splintered masses of castellated rock, jagged and shivered into myriads of fantastic forms, with here and there a streak of sunlit snow, 
traced down their chasms like a line of forked lightning, and, far beyond and far above all these, fainter than the morning cloud, but pure and changeless, slept in the blue sky the utmost peaks of the eternal snow. The golden river, which sprang from one of the lower and snowless elevations, was now nearly in shadow. All but the uppermost jets of spray, which rose like slow smoke above the undulating line of the cataract and floated away in feeble wreaths upon the morning wind. On this object, and on this alone, Hans' eyes and thoughts were fixed. Forgetting the distance he had to traverse, he set off at an imprudent rate of walking, which greatly exhausted him before he had scaled the first range of the green and low hills. He was, moreover, surprised on surmounting them to find that a large glacier, of whose existence notwithstanding his previous knowledge of the mountains, he had been absolutely ignorant, lay between him and the source of the Golden River. He entered on it with the boldness of a practiced mountaineer, yet he thought he had never traversed so strange or so dangerous a glacier in his life. The ice was excessively slippery, and out of all its chasms came wild sounds of gushing water, not monotonous or low, but changeful and loud, rising occasionally into drifting passages of wild melody, then breaking off into short melancholy tones or sudden shrieks, resembling those of human voices in distress or pain. The ice was broken into thousands of confused shapes, but none, Hans thought, like the ordinary forms of splintered ice. There seemed a curious expression about all their outlines, a perpetual resemblance to living features, distorted and scornful. Myriads of deceitful shadows and lurid lights played and floated about and through the pale blue pinnacles, dazzling and confusing the sight of the traveler. While his ears grew dull and his head giddy with the constant gush and roar of the concealed waters, these painful circumstances increased upon him as he advanced. The ice crashed and yawned into fresh chasms at his feet, tottering spires nodded around him, and fell thundering across his path. And though he had repeatedly faced these dangers on the most terrific glaciers and in the wildest weather, it was with a new and oppressive feeling of panic terror that he leaped the last chasm and flung himself, exhausted and shuddering, on the firm turf of the mountain. He had been compelled to abandon his basket of food, which became a perilous encumbrance on the glacier, and had now no means of refreshing himself but by breaking off and eating some of the pieces of ice. This, however, relieved his thirst, an hour's repose recruited his hardy frame, and with the indomitable spirit of avarice, he resumed his laborious journey. His way now lay straight up a ridge of bare red rocks without a blade of grass to ease the foot or a projecting angle to afford an inch of shade from the south sun. It was past noon, and the rays beat intensely upon the steep path, while the whole atmosphere was motionless and penetrated with heat. Intense thirst was soon added to the bodily fatigue with which Hans was now afflicted. Glance after glance he cast on the flask of water which hung at his belt. Three drops are enough, at last, thought he. I may, at least, 
cool my lips with it. He opened the flask and was raising it to his lips when his eye fell on an object lying on the rock beside him. He thought it moved. It was a small dog, apparently in the last agony of death from thirst. Its tongue was out, its jaws dry, its limbs extended lifelessly, and a swarm of black ants were crawling about its lips and throat. Its eye moved to the bottle which Hans held in his hand. He raised it, drank, spurned the animal with his foot, and passed on. And he did not know how it was, but he thought that a strange shadow had suddenly come across the blue sky. The path became steeper and more rugged every moment, and the high hill air, instead of refreshing him, seemed to throw his blood into a fever. The noise of the hill cataracts sounded like mockery in his ears. They were all distant, and his thirst increased every moment. Another hour passed, and he again looked down to the flask at his side. It was half empty, but there was much more than three drops in it. He stopped to open it, and again, as he did so, something moved in the path above him. It was a fair child, stretched nearly lifeless on the rock its breast heaving with thirst, its eyes closed, and its lips parched and burning. Hans eyed it deliberately, drank, and passed on. And a dark gray cloud came over the sun, and long snake-like shadows crept up along the mountain sides. Hans struggled on. The sun was sinking, but its descent seemed to bring no coolness. The leaden weight of the dead air pressed upon his brow and heart, but the goal was near. He saw the cataract of the Golden River springing from the hillside, scarcely five hundred feet above him. He paused for a moment to breathe, and sprang on to complete his task. At this instant, a faint cry fell on his ear. He turned and saw a gray-haired old man extended on the rocks. His eyes were sunk, his features deadly pale, and gathered into an expression of despair. Water, he stretched his arms to Hans and cried feebly. Water, I am dying. I have none, replied Hans. Thou hast had thy share of life. He strode over the prostrate body and darted on. And a flash of blue lightning rose out of the east. Shaped like a sword, it shook thrice over the whole heaven and left it dark with one heavy impenetrable shade. The sun was setting. It plunged towards the horizon like a red-hot ball. The roar of the Golden River rose on Han's ear. He stood at the brink of the chasm through which it ran. Its waves were filled with the red glory of the sunset. They shook their crests like tongues of fire, and flashes of bloody light gleamed along their foam. Their sound came mightier and mightier on his senses. His brain grew giddy with the prolonged thunder. Shuddering, he drew the flask from his girdle and hurled it into the center of the torrent. As he did so, an icy chill shot through his limbs. He staggered, shrieked, and fell. The waters closed over his cry, and the moaning of the river rose wildly into the night as it gushed over the black stone. Poor little Gluck waited very anxiously alone in the house for Han's return. Finding he did not come back, he was terribly frightened and went and told Schwartz in the prison all that had happened. Then Schwartz was very much pleased and said that Hans must certainly have been turned into a black stone 
and he should have all the gold to himself. But Gluck was very sorry and cried all night. When he got up in the morning, there was no bread in the house, nor any money. So Gluck went and hired himself to another goldsmith, and he worked so hard and so neatly and so long every day that he soon got money enough together to pay his brother's fine. And he went and gave it all to Shorts, and Shorts got out of prison. Then Shorts was quite pleased and said he should have some of the gold of the river. But Gluck only begged that he would go and see what had become of Hans. Now, when Schwartz had heard that Hans had stolen the holy water, he thought to himself that such a proceeding might not be considered altogether correct by the king of the Golden River, and determined to manage matters better. So he took some more of Gluck's money and went to a bad man, who gave him some holy water very readily for it. Then Schwartz was sure it was all quite right, so Schwartz got up early in the morning, before the sun rose, and took some bread and wine in a basket, and put his holy water in a flask, and set off for the mountains. Like his brother, he was much surprised at the sight of a glacier, and had great difficulty in crossing it, even after leaving his basket behind him. The day was cloudless, but not bright. There was a heavy purple haze hanging over the sky, and the hills looked lowering and gloomy. And as Schwartz climbed the steep rock path, the thirst came upon him, as it had upon his brother, until he lifted his flask to his lips to drink. Then he saw the fair child lying near him on the rocks, and it cried to him and moaned for water. Water indeed, said Schwartz, I haven't half enough for myself, and passed on. And as he went, he thought the sunbeams grew more dim, and he saw a low bank of black cloud rising out of the west. And when he had climbed for another hour, the thirst overcame him again, and he would have drunk. Then he saw the old man lying before him on the path, and heard him cry out for water. Water indeed, said Schwartz, I haven't half enough for myself. And on he went. Then again the light seemed to fade from before his eyes, and he looked up, and behold, a mist of the color of blood had come over the sun, and the bank of black cloud had risen very high, and its edges were tossing and tumbling like the waves of the angry sea and they cast long shadows which flickered over Schwartz's path. Then Schwartz climbed for another hour, and again his thirst returned, and as he lifted his flask to his lips, he thought he saw his brother Hans lying exhausted on the path before him, and as he gazed, the figure stretched its arms to him and cried for water. Ha ha, laughed Schwartz. Are you there? Remember the prison bars, my boy. Water indeed. Do you suppose I carried it all the way up here for you? And as he strode over the figure, yet as he passed, he thought he saw a strange expression of mockery about its lips. And, when he had gone a few yards farther, he looked back, but the figure was not there. And a sudden horror came over Shorts. He knew not why, but the thirst for gold prevailed over his fear, and he rushed on. And the bank of black cloud rose to the zenith, and out of it came bursts of spiry lightning, and waves of darkness seemed to heave and float between their flashes over the whole heavens. And the sky where the sun was setting was all level, and like a lake of blood, and a strong wind came out of that sky, tearing its crimson clouds into fragments, and scattering them far into the darkness. 
and then short stood by the brink of the golden river its waves were black like thunder clouds but their foam was like fire and the roar of the waters below and the thunder above met as he cast the flask into the stream and as he did so the lightning glared in his eyes and the earth gave way beneath him and the waters closed over his cry and the moaning of the river rose wildly into the night as it gushed over the two black stones when gluck found that shorts did not come back he was very sorry and did not know what to do he had no money and was obliged to go and hire himself again to the goldsmith who worked him very hard and gave him very little money so after a month or two gluck grew tired and made up his mind to go and try his fortune with the golden river the little king looked very kind thought he i don't think he will turn me into a black stone so he went to the priest and the priest gave him some holy water as soon as he asked for it then gluck took some bread in his basket and a bottle of water and set off very early for the mountains if the glacier had occasioned a great deal of fatigue to his brothers it was twenty times worse for him who was neither so strong nor so practised on the mountains he had several very bad falls lost his basket and bread and was very much frightened at the strange noises under the ice he lay a long time to rest on the grass after he had got over and began to climb the hill just in the hottest part of the day when he had climbed for an hour he got dreadfully thirsty and was going to drink like his brothers when he saw an old man coming down the path above him looking very feeble and leaning on a staff my son said the old man i am faint with thirst give me some of that water then gluck looked at him and when he saw that he was pale and weary he gave him the water only pray don't drink it all said gluck but the old man drank a great deal and gave him back the bottle two-thirds empty then he bade him good speed and gluck went on again merrily and the path became easier to his feet and two or three blades of grass appeared upon it and some grasshoppers began singing on the bank beside it and gluck thought he had never heard such merry singing then he went on for another hour and the thirst increased on him so that he thought he should be forced to drink but as he raised the flask he saw a little child lying panting by the roadside and it cried out piteously for water then gluck struggled with himself and determined to bear the thirst a little longer and he put the bottle to the child's lips and it drank it all but a few drops then it smiled on him and got up and ran down the hill and gluck looked after it till it became as small as a little star and then turned and began climbing again and then there were all kinds of sweet flowers growing on the rocks bright green moss with pale pink starry flowers and soft-bowed gentians more blue than the sky at its deepest and pure white transparent lilies and crimson and purple butterflies darted hither and thither and the sky sent down such pure light that gluck had never felt so happy in his life yet when he had climbed for another hour his thirst became intolerable again and when he looked at his bottle he saw that there were only five or six drops left in it and he could not venture to drink and as he was hanging the flask to his belt again he saw a little dog lying on the rocks gasping for breath just as hans had seen it on the day of his ascent 
and Gluck stopped and looked at it, and then at the Golden River, not five hundred yards above him, and he thought of the dwarf's words, that no one could succeed except in his first attempt, and he tried to pass the dog, but it whined piteously, and Gluck stopped again. Poor beastie, said Gluck, it'll be dead when I come down again, if I don't help it. Then he looked closer and closer at it, and its eye turned on him so mournfully that he could not stand it. Confound the king and his gold too, said Gluck, and he opened the flask and poured all the water into the dog's mouth. The dog sprang up and stood on its hind legs. Its tail disappeared. Its ears became long, longer, silky, golden. Its nose became very red. Its eyes became very twinkling. In three seconds, the dog was gone, and before Gluck stood his old acquaintance, the king of the Golden River. Thank you, said the monarch, but don't be frightened, it's all right, for Gluck showed manifest symptoms of consternation at this unlooked-for reply to his last observation. Why didn't you come before, continued the dwarf, instead of sending me those rascally brothers of yours for me to have the trouble of turning into stones? Very hard stones they make, too. Oh, dear me, said Gluck. Have you really been so cruel? Cruel, said the dwarf. They poured unholy water into my stream. Do you suppose I am going to allow that? Why, said Gluck. I am sure, sir, your majesty, I mean, they got the water out of the church font. Very probably, replied the dwarf. But, and his countenance grew stern as he spoke. The water, which has been refused to the cry of the weary and dying, is unholy, though it had been blessed by every saint in heaven. And the water which is found in the vessel of mercy is holy, though it had been defiled with corpses. So saying, the dwarf stooped and plucked the lily that grew at his feet. On its white leaves there hung three drops of clear dew, and the dwarf shook them into the flask which Gluck held in his hand. Cast these into the river, he said, and descend on the other side of the mountains into the treasure valley, and so good speed. As he spoke, the figure of the dwarf became indistinct. The playing colors of his robe formed themselves into a prismatic mist of dewy light. He stood for an instant veiled with them as with the belt of a broad rainbow. The colors grew faint, the mist rose into the air, the monarch had evaporated and Gluck climbed to the brink of the Golden River, and its waves were as clear as crystal and as brilliant as the sun. And when he cast the three drops of dew into the stream, there opened where they fell a small circular whirlpool, into which the waters descended with a musical noise. Gluck stood watching it for some time, very much disappointed, because not only the river was not turned into gold, but its waters seemed much diminished in quantity. Yet he obeyed his friend, the dwarf, and descended the other side of the mountains towards the treasure valley. And as he went, he thought he heard the noise of water working its way under the ground. And when he came in sight of the treasure valley, behold, a river like the Golden River was springing from a new cleft of the rocks above it, and was flowing in innumerable streams among the dry heaps of red sand. And as Gluck gazed, Fresh grass sprang beside the new streams, and creeping plants grew, and climbed among the moistening soil. Young flowers opened suddenly along the river's sides, 
as stars leap out when twilight is deepening, and thickets of myrtle and tendrils of vine cast lengthening shadows over the valley as they grew. And thus the treasure valley became a garden again, and the inheritance, which had been lost by cruelty, was regained by love. And Gluck went and dwelt in the valley, and the poor were never driven from his door, so that his barns became full of corn and his house of treasure. And for him the river had, according to the dwarf's promise, become a river of gold. And to this day the inhabitants of the valley point out the place where the three drops of holy dew were cast into the stream, and trace the course of the golden river under the ground until it emerges in the treasure valley. And at the top of the cataract of the golden river are still to be seen two black stones, round which the waters howl mournfully every day at sunset, and these stones are still called by the people of the valley the Black Brothers. End of section 24